Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. First up, I want to thank our supporting partner for the month and that's We Are One Composites, who've got a really generous offer for you. I'm a huge fan of We Are One's wheels. They've been my go-to wheels since 2019 and for good reason. These team of awesome people from Kamloops in Canada genuinely care about making the best wheels on the planet. They sweat the details and the wheels are not only beautifully made, but they ride great too. The wheels go where you point them and don't ping off every little trail feature like some carbon wheels do, and as a result, they hold a line like nothing else I've ever ridden. I'm currently running a Faction 29er up front and a Union 275 in the rear, and they've never needed any maintenance, and they're still tight and true. We Are One are offering downtime listeners 10% off any Revolution wheel set, including rim only, for the month of September. All you need to do is to head over to weareonecomposites.com and use the code DOWNTIMEWHEELING2022 at the checkout. That's downtime with a capital D, no space, followed by the word wheeling, W-H-E-E-L-I-N-G, no space, then the number 2022 over at weareonecomposites.com. Head to their site now and check out their entire range of awesome wheels. While you're here, don't forget to subscribe or follow the podcast so you never miss an episode. There's buttons to help you get that done over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe. Merch is available if you want to support the show. That's over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. Have you checked out our print project with the awesome team over at Misspent Summers yet? If not, I'd really love you to take a look. It's called Downtime EP and it comes out twice a year. It's a timeless, beautiful piece of mountain bike history to have, hold, read and cherish. You can get single copies, back issues, or you can save yourself some money by treating yourself to an annual subscription. That's over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP. All the links you need for all of this stuff are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. You can also get in touch and give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook by heading to at downtimepodcast. All right, today I'm joined by an old friend, Rich Simpson. Rich has recently joined the World Cup circuit as the GT factory racing mechanic for Jess Bluer and Ethan Craig. We sat down to chat about Rich's background in BMX racing and his career in engineering. Find out how Rich made the move from a lifelong job in engineering to follow his passion in the bike industry. We hear about Rich's approach to suspension setup, his experiences of his first year at World Cups and plenty more. So without further ado, here's Rich Simpson. Rich Simpson, welcome to the Downtime Podcast. How's it going? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me. Nice so, to see you again. Yeah, this is a bit strange because we, we've known each other for quite a long time. Oh uh, yeah, a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how many? Like 20 uh, odd? Yeah, probably 20 odd. Yeah, yeah, just from riding in and around the uh, Berkshire scene, as yeah. it was. Yeah, and races. the boys. Yeah. 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 But this is a bit different, right? Things have moved on for you, and yeah. we're going to talk a lot about your current role. But before we do that, let's wind the clock right back to the early days of you and bikes. Right. Tell us a bit about it, because mountain bikes were not quite a thing, right, when you were a no, young man? No, so I was born quite a long time ago, quite <laughs> old, uh, took up bmx when i was 11 okay so in the 80s yeah uh, that was raced. huge then right in the it UK? was huge yeah. yeah like you go to like later in the 80s i guess go to nationals and there'd be 1500 riders and you'd be in moto 180 or something <laughs> and it's just like so many people but yeah did that for just under 12 years okay that's uh, quite a long time most people don't seem yeah. to stick bmx that long no i always felt like i was a bit old most people were giving it up at like 17 18 yeah and i went on until i was 21 okay um 
lots of other people did, but you always felt at that age. And in those times, a bit embarrassed that you were just still doing a bit of a kid sport. Yeah, I um, guess it was perceived that way yeah, to an extent, wasn't bit. it? Yeah, just because the size of the bikes, yeah. a few comments, but um, <laughs> it's kind of normal now. Yeah. But at the time, it wasn't really normal. How uh, And how far did you progress in that? Uh, did a couple of world championships, okay. but mostly just nationals. Yeah. Um, got to national number four in the top class. Uh, did super class, which was, there was a pro class, um, but below that was a super class. Yeah. And then after a few years, the pro class disappeared and super class was just the top class with all the pros and the super class riders all together. Yeah. Did a couple of years at that and then had quite a bad injury to my wrist. Okay. Um, just broke my wrist badly. Didn't need operating on, well, I did need operating on to put it straight again. Um, but after that still wanted to race but six months after still couldn't pull up on the handlebars on the bmx so i was never going to get out the gate with any speed yeah um bought myself a mountain bike just to keep fit some crappy muddy fox (laughs) courier bike lovely (laughs) sprayed it black maybe that's why i still like black bikes but um yeah rode that just for fun and then one day i was out with some mates and like i used to race give it a go so did cross country for maybe four or five years yeah got up to expert level uh, right i didn't realize that yeah i did it for a few years and like i uh, kind of enjoyed it i was always <laughs> a little bit quicker downhill and always wanted okay. to hit the jumps which you know there was no drop seat posts so yeah yeah sketchy saddle was right up my ass but still hitting stuff and jumping stuff and um just mates i'd go out riding with were like well maybe you should try a downhill race yeah, because downhill was in its infancy, I guess, really. Yeah, it's like, it was 1996 when I did okay. my first right. race. Yeah, so it was up and running pretty yeah. well then. We had World but before then, like, when I did BMX, like, towards the end of when I was doing BMX, there was downhill stuff. Yeah. But it looked crap. It looked like it was just down fire roads and just sprinting. For yeah. No interest at all. No, wasn't interested. Okay. Even when I first started cross-country, maybe, the downhill was still a bit lame looking yeah uh, so wasn't that interested but yeah like i say after a few years mate said come and do a downhill race so i dropped my saddle maybe two inches bought some riser bars and went to longmore army camp which is yeah. very very piddly piddly and came about sixth overall on the day okay out of a decent sized field then. yeah there was some yeah. good riders there tim pontin is a oh yeah legend he won it by a mile i think but, uh-huh. um yeah after that sold me downhill bike oh sorry my cross-country bike that following week yeah and bought a downhill bike amazing how That's old were you when you switched across then you must have been a bit so older I if was, you left bmx at 21 did, yeah so i think i was 28 okay 27 or 28 when yeah i did my first year so i did a couple of years in senior and then into master and then every category since yeah. <laughs> and you've had a decent amount of success in there as well eh yeah i've won the national series a few times national champion veterans yeah once um, yeah yeah had a few and quite wins. a few medals in yeah national quite champs yeah, yeah yeah i've got quite a collection but only one gold oh well you only need one gold Rich. <laughs> yeah that's it i've done that bit yeah that was that in box. the wet and that was real muddy and horrible so I what track need, uh a forest oh yeah okay so yeah beat the scots in scotland which was nice in the mud yeah uh yeah so that's why i don't need to ride in the mud anymore because <laughs> I proved my point. Finished that. <laughs> yeah. And you, you've been to Masters Worlds on a couple yeah. of occasions. Yeah, I've been a couple of times. Tell me about that, because I've, I've never been, and there's a few of us that have been getting older and talking about yeah. it and wondering whether it'd be a good event. What's it What's it like? It's good. It's like, 
the first one I did, I was 40, I think. So I was in the veteran class. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people there. So you don't get a massive amount of practice. Uh-huh. They, when I went, they split the practice sessions into age groups as well. Okay. So you could end up, I think we had like a two hour session. Yeah. We got two runs in that time, which wasn't great because mm. the queues are huge. Um, there's a massive difference in ability there. It's not like going to a world in senior where everybody's fast. Yeah. You can go there and there's people very slow on track and there's some people very fast on track. So it can get a little bit dangerous and doesn't feel that big. Okay. By the time you get to the race, it's fine. Everybody's leveled out a bit and they're seeding and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, getting on the start for my seeding run and the guy in front of me is probably on a maybe a five inch 120 mil travel bike <laughs> and he's French and he just turns around and he says, a gauche, a droite. He was basically telling me which side to shout in to overtake. Nice. Yeah, and I caught him. <laughs> Pretty quickly, probably. <laughs> Pretty quickly, yeah, yeah, quite early on. So, yeah, it's, it's good. It's a good event. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's worth doing. Where did you go? Was it Praloop? Praloop, yeah. Where is that? Uh, it's kind of the Southern Alps. Okay. So I think it's the Maritime Alps, they call it. Yeah. Uh, near, not too far from Gap. Um, yeah, it was good. Good track. How gnarly are the tracks then for Masters uh, Is it I wouldn't it? say it was gnarly. Not World Cup standards. No, it was fast. Yeah. And it had some sections that were quite difficult. But yeah, certainly not World Cup level now or then even. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was good. Good track. Cool. Better than we ride in the UK, so. Yeah, true. Yeah, a bit different. Yeah. Yeah, very high speeds. Yeah. yeah. And racing is like, it's something you've always stuck with, right? You still do some now yeah, in and around what you do. What is it that's kept you going? Because a lot of people just like, I don't know they, whether they fall out of love with it or they decide they're too old or yeah. things change, but you've always always shown up. Yeah, I've always been competitive. Even in like my former career as engineer, I always wanted to be the best person at what I was doing. And it's the same when I ride my bike. I want to be the best person. I'm not a show off. I don't want to go around showing everybody, <laughs> but try and let the results show what I can do. Yeah. But yeah, still love it. Um haven't been able to race much this year, obviously, but uh, done a couple of races. But yeah, just love racing, and it's like everybody's there for the same reason. Everybody gets on. Everybody wants to go fast. You don't have to worry about walkers coming up tracks usually. Yeah. Um, so How, yeah. How's that UK national scene evolved in the time you've been there? Because, I mean, I was looking back at a result from a national I did many, many years ago, and there was like nearly two hundred riders on the start list in the whatever the main category is like up to 30 or whatever it is and um i went to a national recent or not that recently maybe a year or two ago pre-covid and uh the, the field was a lot smaller like how has the scene changed yeah it has changed quite a lot it's like when i first started doing it it was like all the good riders of the country went you had steve pete there rob warner everybody everybody wanted to go to a national and do well um it took a bit of a dip for a few years i would say everybody like when i first started you walked up it was a push-up yeah there was no uplift then uplifts came into play and they weren't good sometimes <laughs> so people didn't bother going to the races because the okay. uplifts were bad um Cy payton kind of took it forward a bit and made it a bit more special yeah still problems with uplifts every now and then but that happens everywhere i think but he made you know, made a bit of a spectacle of it. People came to watch. Yeah, People okay. in the local towns came to watch. Um, so there was a good few years while he was in it. 
I'd say now uh, it's kind of a shame you don't get the top riders there. They're not so interested. The, mm. the risk of injury, not getting paid by their teams maybe. And it's like it doesn't feel the same. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and then now they have lots of different organisers as well. So uplift can be completely different at one race and not another. Timing can be different. It's all sorts. Um, so you can go to some races and everything's good. Uh -huh. I think, yeah, nationals are great. And you go to another one and it feels like a regional okay um, but there's some better riders there yeah just not not a standard across the board no, kind of thing. yeah yeah okay. and you never know well you do know what you're getting because you get to know these organizers but they can all be different um, yeah. so you kind of know which ones are going to be good uh -huh. which ones maybe not yeah which ones you're going to have problems with um but yeah they're still good yeah it's just a shame that some of the top world riders don't go to them anymore yeah because it's nice for everyone to get to see them and to compete yeah. against them on yeah. the same track like yeah. hopefully we'll see a bit more there's a few of the guys and girls that like turn up fairly regularly but i yeah. guess it's hard to fit into a world cup calendar yeah well, that's, i think that's the problem they they've got to fit it in which is one thing and then they don't want to injure themselves yeah at a national and they can't do a world cup or you know they've got to be paid uh, if their teams aren't going to pay them to go then all yeah. of a sudden, you know, even some of them don't get expensed from what I've heard. Wow. So they're paying out of their own money and it's expensive to enter a national now. It is, yeah. They have to pay for that themselves. And then, you know, they don't get a decent prize at the end of the day. Uh -huh. Then why go? Why yeah, risk fair. the injury? Yeah. They don't know how to switch off and go a little bit slower and stuff. So they would go flat out anyway. Um, yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? I guess you need to like... The, the size of the crowd and the level of exposure and content that comes out of the races needs to grow for the brands to be interested yeah. in sending their riders. Yeah, exactly. But almost the riders need to be there to bring the crowds and yeah. the content. So it's yeah, like that it's vicious. Chicken and egg. Yeah. It's a difficult thing. But, you know, we've had, we've had some really good nationals. We had one at Bike Park Wales a couple of years ago, uh -huh. or a few years ago now. And the crowds at the bottom were insane. Okay. Because people went there riding. Yeah. Oh, it was a national one. They didn't close the bike park. They uh -huh. just closed certain runs. So you could go there, ride, and come and watch a national and just at the bottom where all the jumps were. It was mad. Oh, that's cool. I caught a guy up who got a puncture. Yeah. And the crowd was yelling so much. <laughs> he thought they were yelling at him because he was riding with a puncture, but they were yelling at him to move over. <laughs> no and ended up just going into him. But, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. Proper atmosphere. So it can be done. It can be done. Yeah. yeah. Definite. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You mentioned earlier engineering. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, the other side of your life away from bikes because engineering has been a big yep. part of it. Yeah. So I uh, left school and uh, did an apprenticeship in a nuclear energy research centre. Uh, as you do. Yeah, as you do. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Became a rocket scientist, nuclear scientist. Um, yeah, so I spent a bit of time there. Uh, kind of wanted to go maybe into architecture when I left okay. school but didn't fancy seven years yes yeah, a big of school time commitment yeah and then went into engineering and did seven years of school so <laughs> maybe i should have gone a different way but it's got me where i am now so yeah I'm not unhappy and what were you doing within engineering so i did uh, mechanical engineering yeah um so did that time at the nuclear place and then moved to a company uh in my hometown in newbury yeah and was there for 30 years wow yeah so worked up from going in there as a draftsman uh -huh. uh, and it wasn't a big company it was only like 60 people 
Um, and the engineering department was basically three people when I okay. started there. So there was a manager above me and then a director above him. So there was never like a career move to take the next step, but yeah. the company looked after me quite well and I got promotions to different titles until eventually all the older people above me moved away or retired and got to technical director of the company. Yeah. In the group. Fair yeah. play. What was it you met, you designed? So that was, uh, it was in aerospace and defense stuff. Yeah. So it was slip rings we used to design. Okay. Um, which are like a rotating junction box. Yeah. And they use them in all sorts, missiles, surveillance systems. Yeah. It was all military stuff we okay. did. So it was top secret. Quite high tech. Yeah. You could tell me, but you'd have to kill me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what, what drove the change then, right? Because it, it, I think it was, was it 2020? You made a, a really big change from yes. 30 years with the company. Yeah. So uh, the company, I don't know if it was Brexit or COVID, but um, they decided to close the facility in the UK. So there's the head office in Germany. Uh, there was a company in China, which didn't do any military stuff. Uh -huh. And then also one in the US. So they had a lot covered and it was almost too much having two companies in Europe. Yeah. And then all the things that went on with Brexit, COVID, blah, blah, blah. So they decided to close the facility. I was going to work remotely for the German company. And then they had a change of heart. And I got a phone call in November of 2019, maybe. Okay. 2020, maybe. can't remember. That yeah, must have been 2020. Um, just to say that they weren't going to continue with me remotely in the UK. I could either move to Munich. Right. Or I could move to near Boston in the US. And take a job as a design engineer, which yeah. is where I started. So back years to, the, yeah, back to yeah. the first rung of the ladder. Or I could take redundancy. So I kind of took that as, okay, you're basically saying you want to make me redundant. Yeah. Uh, but you've been there a long time, right? Yeah, so I hope it. the package was good. Well, it wasn't great. I didn't actually get any payoff other than statutory yeah. redundancy. But I was on a year's notice. Ah, so okay. they paid me for a year. Um they were quite keen. I didn't go to a competitor. Mm -hmm. A lot of knowledge from all that time. And there was a competitor 15 miles away. Right. Um, so they asked me what I wanted to do afterwards. And I told them about the, something in the bike industry. And yeah. they supported that and helped me out. Gave me some payments for stuff. Okay. Um, and paid me for the year. Yeah. And didn't make me wait until my contract was out. Okay. They said, you can start it now. Cool. So that was the birth of RSR Bike Works and went on from there but always had an interest in suspension and setting up suspension and getting the bikes right people who know me always see the bike is quite clean and works quite well yeah. so yeah decided to do that for a business and everything aligned just at the right time i guess with redundancy and then we had some inheritance between us in my, in me and my wife so yeah. um paid our mortgage off Oh, nice. All of a sudden went from quite a high salary and yeah. needing to pay stuff to, okay, where everything's paid. Yeah. All of a sudden I didn't need to earn that high salary. So yeah. decided to step away from engineering and do something I enjoy doing. Yeah. Big change, man. So how yeah. do you go about setting up a business like RSL Biteworks then? What, what needed to be done? It was in the beginning... The idea was, because with all the uh, lockdowns and the COVID, everybody was getting their bike service. All I could hear from shops was, oh, we can't keep on top of servicing. So yeah. I thought, you know, I'll do a bit of servicing and see how that goes. Uh -huh. So I started bike servicing um, immediately. Um, and I wouldn't say I was 
busy, busy, but I was quite busy. So okay. an engineer and I worked four and a half day week and I yeah. thought, okay, well, I'm now semi-retiring. I only want to work three and a half. So yeah. that'd be good. Within probably two months, I was doing a six to six and a half hour week, uh, sorry, day, week. No way. And I thought that's too much. So I decided <laughs> to back down from a bit from that. And then just people who knew I knew a bit about setting bikes up started to ask about setting their bikes up. So did that um, kind of like the Bracton technique where you just make some change. Somebody said better or worse mm-hmm. and you keep going that way until it's worse and come back. So I did some of that for a while um, and then realized that that took a very long time. Yeah. People were getting very tired doing it. Yeah, not many people are fit enough to no. smash out the runs consistently. Yeah, they? and we would do it across short sections, but it's still, you got to ride for 30 seconds and then push up for five minutes and then yeah. ride again. And it's, you know, when you've got all those settings on the forks, all those settings on the shock, that's a lot of runs to get in. It is, So yeah. it's quite hard work for people. So then thought, okay, well, I need to get some data acquisition equipment somewhere. Um, so I had a look around what was available, looked at some of the cheaper stuff and thought, well, if I'm going to go in... Let's go in properly. And the motion instrument stuff seemed to be pretty good and mm-hmm. seemed to do what I wanted to do. I didn't want anything that would tell me what to actually do. Yeah, okay. I didn't want something to tell me that you need two more clicks of low-speed compression, blah, yeah. blah, Um So I was quite interested in something that could tell me the data. Then I work it out. And all the years of engineering, used to looking at graphs and data and working yeah. out what it's telling me and what to do with it, what to ignore, what to use. Um, so, yeah, got some motion instrument equipment. Soon got quite a lot of work uh, <laughs> from everything. And it's, you know, it started as mostly people who are racing, but it's, I'd say one of my biggest areas of setup is actually e-bikes, which is uh, a okay. bit strange. Yeah. yeah and I was just like, somebody wanted their e-bike set up, somebody I knew. And like every e-bike, it looks super soft. Everybody seems to run them soft. Yeah. So this guy was exactly that on his bike he had like 40 percent sag at the back and like 30 percent sag on the front and yeah just 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 this wallowy horrible thing so we ended up doing quite a lot of work on it and he was somebody who raced so we uh set it up to be a bit more racy and he's like oh, that's absolutely amazing so good to ride and you don't have to worry about what it does uphill it's, yeah just use the motor no bother that. yeah so he told somebody else, then they wanted it done. And they were told somebody else. So it kind of grew from that. Yeah. Haven't really done a great deal of advertising for anything. So it's been awesome. word of mouth and kind of spread. Yeah. Good yeah. work, man. But I also took on coaching. So I went and got a coaching qualification. Yeah. So I could do coaching. So I was kind of trying to cover lots of things to see what worked best. Yeah. Um, and now I end up doing them all doing bike servicing, suspension servicing, coaching, and the data acquisition setup stuff and flying around the world being and now a world flying around the world as well yeah <laughs> well let's talk a bit about that then so you're um ethan and uh, jess's mechanic at gt factory racing yeah how does that opportunity come out because it doesn't feel uh, like it was that long since you started rsl bike no. works and made this big leap and then suddenly you're on the world cup circuit yeah i was kind of lucky uh, i've known ethan a long time okay uh, i know just raced with his dad a long time ago and i think as ethan said on his podcast just made a joke a few a couple of years ago or last year it must have been at the national champs about him needing a new mechanics he had a bit of a problem the year before uh-huh. um i just made a joke about it and then 
It was just, I'd say it was a joke, but I, I kind of meant it. <laughs> yeah, you kind of keen but for a yes, please. didn't really think anything would ever happen. Yeah. So I always kept my hand in, just ask Ethan what's going on, blah, blah, blah. Never thought it would happen, to be honest. And then um, got a phone call from Ethan just to say, was I interested? Was I really interested? Yeah. I was, yeah, absolutely. Let's see where it goes. And still was thinking, yeah, well, it might not be for me. It's a young man's thing and I'm not young anymore. Not as young as I was so good <laughs> and then yeah had a sort of phone call interview with gt and uh-huh. just talked about that looked on my instagram and all sorts and yeah. seen that i did the data acquisition just so happened they had bought the same equipment um but weren't really using it okay as much as they could yeah yeah um so yeah got offered the job and I'll give it a go see how i get on yeah it seems to have gone all right so far <laughs> so was it an easy decision then you were it was a no-brainer if they said yes you were yeah it you was were for go. me unless like the salary was so low that actually it wouldn't be worth it I, yeah you know i hadn't earned a massive amount out of rsr but uh-huh. i'd earned enough to keep me and my wife and daughter going and it was like yeah you know it was easy and i thought well i can't afford to do it for less than what i just earned out of the business yeah um, but GT were really good. Said I can carry on with the business. I didn't have to just do GT. Uh-huh. So between World Cups, I can still run my business. And really, at the World Cups, I'm mechanic. Yeah, so I do all that stuff. But it's, I'm, I would say, I'm more there for the data acquisition, suspension okay. setup stuff. Yeah, um, it's something that's a little bit different to the other mechanics on the team mm-hmm. at the moment. So you're looking at all the riders then when it comes yeah, to data generally? Mostly I am concentrating on Ethan and Jess. Okay. Because um, I know the system, it's easy for me to do. But mm-hmm. the equipment does go on Ryan's bike every now and then and wins. Just did a day's testing with Win on a peeler on the way here. Uh-huh. So yeah, it does go on there. And then the other mechanics put it on, that's fine. And they can take it off and they can look at the data. They're just not quite sure. Yeah, what they're looking at yet, but they're starting to pick it up. And nice, something that we think in the off season we probably all need to get together and learn how to do it. Or definitely they can learn how to do it. Yeah. They've got definitely got things they can teach me. So yeah, they've got yeah. years of experience on That's the circuit, like, yeah. but you've yeah. got experience with the kit. So yeah. it's like yeah, yeah, everyone benefits. Yeah, it's just a different way of looking at. It. Other teams are doing it. Yeah. So it'd be a shame for GT not to keep up. and Definitely, yeah. The amount of bikes coming down pretty much all week now yeah. with some kind of logging equipment on is yeah. Yeah. pretty insane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I imagine there's some very good people out there, but there's also, I've heard discussions when I've just been listening of people not really doing anything with the data. They're catching all the data, but not really doing much with it. Yeah, the skill is in interpreting it and yeah. making yeah. educated changes, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. It's looking at the data getting the feedback from the riders and trying to interpret what they're saying to correlate with the data. Yeah. And then you have to ask some questions. You kind of know the result. So you're just looking for them to give you the right feedback sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. How often does the rider feedback correlate with what you're seeing in the data? Uh, it depends. Like Ethan at the beginning of the year was quite new to it Mm -hmm. so he would give me feedback but it wasn't great so i'd have to coax quite a lot out of him but i know what questions to ask Uh to find out so i can work out whether it's rebound compression or it's high speed or low speed so i can work those out from what he was telling me by asking questions yeah he's got much better he can now tell me what's going and he knows what i want to hear okay he knows the questions i'm going to ask him we've done a lot of testing together yeah so what sort of things like what kind of stuff might 
you want to hear that's useful to you to help you know where you're yeah, going. Yeah, it's like just for the if you like isolate the rebound, I might want to know does it feel like it's kicking off one big bump, or does it feel like you go through something and it feels harsh? Okay. Or do you go through something and the further you go through a set of routes, it's bouncing back and I can work out from that, okay, or I need more or less, or it's high speed or low speed. Yeah. And it's all those questions, whereas Ethan might come back now and say, oh, I'm going across a set of routes and by the time I get to the end of the routes, it feels rock hard. Uh-huh. So he knows. He doesn't. He maybe, he probably does now, but he maybe doesn't know what he should change. Yeah, okay. But he knows what I want to hear. Yeah, he knows He doesn't that. want to just say to me, oh, the rebound's too fast. Yeah. You can tell me what it is, so I know which one to change. Got it. Yeah. Jess is getting much better. Okay. Um, we've had, you know, this weekend's been a struggle at Val de Sol. It's a big track. She's nursing a little bit of a hand injury, mm-hmm. um, so possibly not waiting the bike as much as she should. Yeah. Or could rather, she will do it as much as she should. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I've done a lot less testing with her. I only okay. really see her at races. Um, so she needs more of the questions to get the feedback right. Yeah. And then you get sometimes a rider will just come back and it's just, oh yeah, it feels better or no, that's worse. And you've, you have even to asking the questions, but like I say, you, you, you can see the data Yeah, and you know what kind of compression speeds and rebound speeds they can tolerate mm-hmm. with testing. So with Ethan, it's quite easy. We've done a lot of testing off season. So yeah. First World Cup at Lords didn't go as planned. Yeah, and um, that was on the old bike as well, right? It was on the old bike, yeah. And I think, you know, I made the mistake. I didn't go and walk the track. Okay. So I didn't see how bad the compressions got, uh, which is something I do every time now. I go and walk the track. If Ethan is going to go and do track walk after quali, and most of the time I'll try and go with him mm-hmm. so I can see how the track has beaten up. Yeah. So I can get an idea of how many compressions, big compressions there should be, and yeah. whether it's fast or slow or whether there's lots of roots mm-hmm. lots of square edges that kind of stuff um but yeah lords didn't go great maybe well a bit of both old bike new to it didn't really know what compression rebound speeds ethan could tolerate okay since then we did loads of testing yeah so we went away uh we did some testing in pontypool it's not a big hill but it's quite steep mm-hmm. tracks it's not gnarly. I can ride down it quite fast. Okay. Ethan can ride down it really fast. <laughs> but we did some testing and we were kind of going the way of his old settings, just changing a little bit. So like even at Lords, I had settings from the year before, so uh-huh. kind of using those and then trying to work out what's going on. But we went to Pontypool, did some testing and we were doing timed runs. Uh, and then I kind of decided with Ethan, I didn't, you know, I wouldn't do anything that he wasn't agreeing with, but he's, he's quite open to, trying different things so we went a completely different way with the suspension we took volume spaces out of the forks we sped everything up for rebound softened the compression a bit um on an air shock as well so everything just you know just make some changes yeah wind out the high speed that's trial sort of stuff and he was doing this track and he wasn't intending to do a timed run um but he went into the first corner and thought this feels good so we carried on going quite fast got to the bottom and he was like four seconds quicker over what like before. a couple of minutes no minute 20 no way yeah it's huge so then we did one more thing because it still it was still wasn't quite right the figures weren't where i wanted to see them yeah so we made one small change he went back up and went two seconds quicker than that as well so Whoa. in just like 
a complete change of what we were doing. Yeah. Went six seconds quicker on <laughs> like a minute and a quarter track, which is huge. That is massive. Yeah. yeah. So all of a sudden we're right. Okay. It's the old bike. doesn't matter so much. We knew we weren't going to race it again mm-hmm. at that stage, but we now had some data on the speeds that you could hold on to, which are yeah. compression speeds and rebound. A uh, rebound is probably in the same ballpark as we could ride. Okay. Compression, definitely not. Way faster. Way faster. Yeah. And like, I ride his bike and it feels absolutely rock hard. Uh-huh. And then I see the travel he gets and the speed the travel goes through. They they are hitting stuff so much harder than you expect. So all the speeds I try and get to with customers, mm-hmm. now that's one thing. But with these World Cup riders, it's a bit different. Yeah. And I was green to that. So Yeah. So when you say tolerate, was the word you used, I think, what the speeds they can tolerate. What does that mean? And I guess it's different in terms of the compression speed and the rebound speed. Yeah, for rebound, for instance, if you run rebound too fast and somebody isn't weighting their bike or consistent in their body position, Mm -hmm. then they're going to get bounced around quite a lot. Yeah, like bucked. Um, Yeah, yeah. So we run quite fast rebound speeds. Uh But Ethan's strength and his body position can hold it. Same with Jess. Yeah. You know, we're pretty much all the team we're looking at the same rebound speeds and okay. compression speeds are a little bit different yeah um the compression speeds are very high but i look at maximum speeds which is one thing yeah and then i also there's a 95th percentile mm-hmm. on the, and that takes out the peaks yeah. either end so i look at those as well and someone like ethan who is consistent on the bike and a good body position that peak value to his 95th percentile isn't that much different because <laughs> he's strong enough yeah. to stay in the position so it's about strength on the bike it is to some degree so yeah. at lens he wasn't well at all uh-huh. he was pretty ill with like a fluey type thing it wasn't yeah. covid luckily but he was you know he's pouring snot out all the time <laughs> and it's it just wasn't strong and i could see it in yeah. his data so the maximum speeds were higher than normal yeah but that 95th percentile was lower than normal uh okay so it's kind of slumping on the bike a yeah, bit yeah, more, yeah not crashing through stuff yeah, a bit. yeah yeah so i get to see that um jess is a bit smaller so it's difficult to maintain a position on the bike she's on a smaller bike mm-hmm. obviously and not putting as much weight yeah, through the bars so, and everything yeah, yeah she's yeah. not as heavy she's yeah. a bit smaller so it's more difficult to get your body position consistent mm-hmm. especially when it gets steep yeah she hasn't got the limbs long enough to lean off the back and get that body in the right position again yeah so it can change so i can see like from this weekend i'm seeing massive um maximum speeds compression speeds but then that 95th percentile isn't as high as maybe she would normally okay um so yeah there's a lot to look at and a lot to analyze but i've with ethan because i've done so much testing i've looked at all of our test sessions and when we get to a setting that's good mm-hmm. I have all that data and then I've just worked out averages from maybe like 20 sets of data where we've done testing or races and uh, they're not that far apart, but then I've taken averages and that just gives us something to aim at at every race and we can set the bike up pretty quick. Yeah. Ethan was saying you can get there in a couple of runs these days generally. Yeah, most time. Yeah. Yeah. Even at, um, I think it was snowshoe because the weather was so bad, we were having to jet wash the bikes every single run. We didn't put the data on to start with because mm-hmm. we like, oh, I'm going to have to keep taking it off. I don't want to keep jet washing it. Yeah. Um, so we didn't put much on there. Did practice and we'd based it on other tracks to try and get to a start position. And we made a few little tweaks just off feedback. Yeah. Uh, 
did all day practice, second day practice. Weather was a little bit better. Uh, so to Ethan, do you want to put the data on? He's like, no point really, I feel comfortable. So let's put it on, see what we got, put it on there and we're right where the averages are. <laughs> so it, sweet it works. Yeah. 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 So I think it works. That's cool. Yeah. Once you've got that like language between the two of you as well and you know you've got enough data around you to say, right, well, I think this is where we need to end up on clicks and things yeah. and you get there with it, even without yeah. necessarily seeing the numbers. No. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got good feeling. He's, yeah, I think he said on his podcast how he's sensitive to tyre pressure. He was running very low pressures. Uh, he's a bit lighter than me and I run more pressure, but he's only a little bit lighter. Yeah. And I ding rings all over the place because I'm not going as fast across stuff probably. So I'm hitting the square edges hard. And I kept thinking, you know, we get rim damage sometimes. Um, and I thought, you know, I'll put a bit more pressure in when we're out testing. And I put pressure in and he immediately came down. He's like, my tyre's hard. <laughs> and I'm like, no. He said, oh, they feel quite hard. And I put one PSI extra in and he felt it. That is amazing. So, I don't know how riders pick that. No. It's and incredible. I like to think I can, but I know that I've done it. Yeah. So you, you like think, well, I'm going to let my tyres down one PSI. <laughs> You ride and think, yeah, that does feel more grippy. Yeah, but you've got that he like bias in yeah, your brain. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's in your head. He had no comprehension that I changed anything other than feel. Yeah. And he knew it straight away. Which Amazing. Pretty good. Yeah. They're on another planet, these yeah. guys and girls. It's, it's insane. So let's go back to the start of this season. First time World Cup mechanic. How do you prepare for that? Because it's not an easy thing. No, it's, no one's going to tell you how it works or. No, that was probably the hardest bit we did a couple of races we did the brio cup and then we did a portugal cup yeah. race so i had a bit of knowledge about what was going to go on bit of a shakedown um, and at that time jess was injured from last year yeah still recovering from injury mm -hmm. from last year that was a femur from that's right yeah. yeah um so i was lucky enough just to have one rider one mechanic so yeah. it made life a bit easier and mark morrison's who our head mechanic he's been with gt forever he's you know he's been a world cup mechanic for a long time so, yeah. and he's very open he's good guys like easy to get on with uh -huh. and happy to tell you all sorts of stuff so nice. he gave me that guidance the kind of things we should be swapping over obviously if you break something you swap it yeah um but like for when you get there at world cup weekend i've never gone to a race and change a load of equipment just before a race because it's your own money you can't afford that <laughs> yeah. the same wheels last me all year yeah yeah you like putting new wheels on, new rims on, all sorts of new stuff, new brand new tires. They'll do a day of practice and then you put another brand new set of tires on. It's just all those little things. These are things you need to do. Uh -huh. And then most of it is common sense or just looking over your shoulder and thinking, oh, what's Mark doing now? Oh, yeah. yeah, maybe I ought to do that. What about things like chains and pads and stuff like that? Does it yeah. vary from rider and their kind of personal needs? or A little bit, maybe. Um, certainly the way the brakes work is different for every rider. Okay. Uh, Ethan runs his brake bite point quite a long way out. Yeah. Jess runs hers quite a long way in. So uh -huh. you have to bleed the brakes, then you have to do a bit of fiddling around to get that bite point right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they have new brake pads, new chains and everything at each race. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes the chain will get changed for a race run. Okay. Somewhere like Fort William where we were hitting the chain ring quite often. Uh -huh. um, one particular rock on the track that Ethan was quite keen on. <laughs> kept bending chain rings. So, you know, bend a chain ring, change chain. Yeah. It's, it's had a whack. 
Um, never had one snap yet, touch wood. But uh, yeah, I think it's it's difficult. Like, put new components on for a race run. Is there a manufacturing defect? Or do you leave what's on there mm-hmm. and then have you damaged it in yeah, the last yeah. few days? You have to look at a lot of stuff and make that assessment. So and you, it's been quite good. I'm, you know, I'm fully responsible for Ethan and Jesse's bike. And their safety to some extent. Exactly. Right? That's the way I look at it. Yeah. It's like, would I go up riding this? And yeah. I'll go nowhere near as fast as them. Mm-hmm. And if my answer is, oh, I'd be a bit worried, but I'd ride it. It's like, no, okay, it's not going That's up. It's not like good that. enough. Yeah. 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 So you do a lot of checking and it takes a long time. It's been difficult with two riders that are both qualifying well, because there's mm-hmm. not much time between their race runs. So it's like... And they have their practice just before their race runs. Yeah, so the overlap's like, pretty pretty yeah, tight, right? Yeah, we've had a couple of close calls. Okay, where Ethan's crashed or something in that practice session in the morning. Yeah, and then there's only like forty five minutes where I need to go up with Jess. So <laughs> it's been quite often this year that I haven't gone up to okay. do warm up with Jess. Yeah, um, Cam Cole, our team manager, can go up with her. Uh-huh. I can finish Ethan's bike. And then get up there most of the time. I can get up there for the end of her warm up. Okay. So she you knows she's got that continuity. Yeah. If there's anything wrong, she can tell me. Not that there is normally. Mm-hmm. Um, but there has been a couple of races where I haven't made it up. Yeah. So I've had to wait at the end. I get quite nervous. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know if it's being a dad or whatever, but I don't want them to come down. I don't want them to hurt themselves yeah. first. They're like your family, also, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they feel like two kids. Yeah. Well, they are two kids act like it most of the time <laughs> but yeah i you know my first thing is i don't want them to get hurt mm-hmm. second thing is i don't want anything to go wrong with the bike yeah that causes them to get hurt or dnf or not qualify or whatever definitely so, yeah i get quite nervous at the start yeah and yeah. you i mean you've known ethan a long time like you said but maybe not well haven't seen him at the top of a world cup run yeah like were there surprises there for you like have you had to learn how to help Ethan get the best out of himself? Um, a little bit. I think I think he's just, he's thriving on the confidence he's got on the bike. Mm-hmm. I think he, I think he does. He tells me he does. He trusts <laughs> me that the bike is right. Yeah. I'm not going to send him up there with something that's not right. So I think, you know, even with the business stuff I do with RSR, setting people's bikes up, it's a tick in that box. It's something you now don't have to think about. For sure. A race. Yeah. I know like, World Cup riders, we're doing the data every race and we're changing stuff. But for most people, get a good base setting. Yeah, you're ninety five percent of the way there. Yeah. And I give people like suggestions for different terrain and stuff. Yeah. And I think for the World Cup riders, that's another thing they can tick off. They haven't got to worry about the bike. The bike is mm-hmm. the best it's going to be. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've got their back. We don't say much at the start. Either okay. of them are both quiet. Just okay. listens to a drum and bass. <laughs> Can't hear me half the time. Ethan just concentrates, keeps himself to the self. Mm-hmm. It's your question, but it's more about where are my bands or something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you, you get to know that the first couple of races, like this is awkward. I'm just standing here. <laughs> should I be doing something? Yeah. Nobody ever says, oh, you should do this, you should do that. Um, so it was a little bit weird, but then as the season goes on, you think, oh no, okay. Well, he just keeps himself to himself or just listen to a drum and bass. She yeah. just wants a, red bull or a drink and that's as much as i have to do um obviously check the bike when they're not looking i don't mm-hmm. really want them to know that i'm looking at things make <laughs> sure things are okay yeah. yeah 
Yeah, I'm confident when I get to the top, it's probably had like four bolt checks for a race run. Because I think, oh, just check it again. Just do just one check more check. It again. So generally, I just squeeze the tyres and make sure they are still inflated. Yeah. Got a flat tyre or anything. And they're good to go. Good, good. And both riders have kind of been working their way up the rankings throughout the year. Yeah. How, I mean, that must be super satisfying for you. So tell us a bit about that. But also, what's it like at the top of the hill? Because I guess you're going up kind of later and later when it's getting yeah. quieter and quieter yeah. and the mechanics all kind of know each other but you're new this year yeah. how's that how's that all been yeah for you? that's been weird like fort william world cup ethan qualified 14th and all of a sudden we're on a turbo trainer next to Deprella and all those people <laughs> and you're looking around thinking oh shit these are all like my heroes yeah as well as ethan thinking oh shit these are the people i didn't think i'd be riding with just yet uh-huh and you're looking around, looking to see what the other mechanics are doing. Yeah, yeah. And I almost, at Fort William, I felt quite confident because all okay. I saw was all the other mechanics with their Allen keys out, checking bolts were tight, checking tires all the time, checking pressures. Yeah. And I actually sat back and thought, yeah, I don't need to touch a thing on that bike. I know I've definitely done it all. Yeah, and that's so cool. It's a confidence thing. And, yeah. then, you know, I think that continuity for the riders, like I said, not always with Jess because I can't always get up there, yeah. but with Ethan, I'm always up there. It's that continuity. He's got a friendly face. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got his back, make sure he's got room for doing his stretches or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely weird. <laughs> I bet it is, mate. What, how are the other mechanics? Because it's like, it's a pretty tight knit family. Yeah, it's a World Cup good. thing. Yeah, they're good. Like, um, like I say, I was brand new to it. Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm this old bloke at the top, and it's like, <laughs> use this guy. And but as the years gone on, they've got used to see or the year. Yeah. So like, you know, we're at the last race of the year mm. now. So people are more used to seeing me at the top, and everybody's friendly. Yeah. Everybody will help out if you had a problem. Um, so yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Definitely no rivalry between the mechanics, from what I can see. There, there must be a little bit well, of competition over the best uh, warm-up spot at the top of some of these hills there's not a lot of yeah, space at some right yeah some that is something i think needs sorting out yeah it's like sometimes we've had to sit in the sun like andorra yeah there was, was no space in that tent yeah. and we we're on a tiny little corner of a tent trying to huddle in and the platform they put for the turbo trainers to sit on was at an angle <laughs> so i had to actually sit in front of ethan's bike and hold the turbo trainer down Whoa. to stop it tipping out the back i did let go because i thought it'd be okay and it started tipping so that was no good but i was sat in the sun yeah thinking shit i'm hot i've yeah. got a whole lot of hair on my head and i didn't have a hat <laughs> i was thinking oh, i'm just cooking here but yeah that's something that does need sorting out okay. i think a bit more space yeah but yeah. yeah like so you get up there we're quite lucky we we take tend to take one turbo trainer and one training bike up there and leave it for and Jess leave and it. Or we try and do some crossover. We don't really like leaving it up there. Yeah. Uh, especially the bike um, could get taken. I think it's quite unlikely, but you never know. Um, so, but we tend to have a bit of crossover. A turbo trainer can stay up there. Yeah. Um, so when Ryan goes up on race day, he's the earliest. He's very early in the morning. If all the equipment can stay up there, that's great. You get a good spot there. Yeah. And you stay can get in a it. good spot and stay in it. Yeah. Um, is yeah. there a hierarchy like of the top riders mechanics got like a bit more sway when it comes to getting a good spot no i don't think so I, okay. i've never been asked to move okay. or anything like that and i wouldn't <laughs> Fair. <laughs> we're as important as they are but yeah. i don't think any of the mechanics would do that they, no, they know seem if like they a get good up crew. there and there's not room where they prefer to do it then they go somewhere else yeah 
And sometimes it gets very close. You're like rubbing elbows. Riders are rubbing elbows on yeah. turbo trainers because they're way too close to each other. But that's more to get out of the sun most of the time. Yeah, when enough. it is sunny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell us about your toolbox build then, because there's that whole like toolbox wars thing and like a lot of pride from the mechanics yeah. in their boxes. Um, how did you go about getting your set up and yeah, selecting see, what you bring? And- yeah, it's difficult. Well, that was fairly easy because I rode the same downhill bike as the riders at the beginning of the year. So okay. I knew exactly what tool, and I did do exactly that when I got. So I had a fury yeah got rid of it and then got one back again uh-huh. before i went to the first team camp i yeah. stripped that whole bike and all i did was when i used a tool i left it to one side uh, okay. and then i got to the end of this right i need all those tools yeah absolutely definite yeah and then a few more just in cases okay um spoke to mark about what kind of size box i'd need mm-hmm. he told me what to do i was keen on the shadow foaming uh, just to make it look nice. Yeah. Thought I was going to go there with the best toolbox ever. <laughs> Turn up, you open it with a load of pride, and you think, yes, looks good. And then you walk around the pitch and think, oh, God. That's how good there is. Serious effort. Yeah. Some so, yeah. of the boys' boxes are pretty yeah. incredible. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited for the off season. I've already yeah. ordered a new box and <laughs> <laughs> just sorting out what shadow foam colours I have and all sorts. Ready Interesting. For next year's wars. Yeah. Oh, well, that's good. So next year's happening. I was going to ask I you. I hope that, so. Right? Well, yeah. I haven't discuss contracts yeah. with gt i was on a one plus one yeah. which is understandable first you, year in it i could have been terrible be i absolutely wanted it yeah. yeah yeah what's the draw then because it's it's quite a lot of work i think it's that competitive thing okay like you were saying i've raced a long time i'm racing less now yeah but i now feel my competitiveness is getting jess and ethan up there yeah and they're and both doing super exactly. well right? and it still i think feels to me like i'm at the races racing i'm not yeah. racing but you know they're racing my bike yeah i mean anybody could ride my bike it's just they happen to be able to ride it quite fast <laughs> that's awesome i'm glad you're feeling that way about it that's yeah cool. i'm quite excited for it yeah there's, there's been low points um but every single race i've been to once we get into the racing and the uh the practice and the quality mm-hmm. i love it Great. Some of the stuff beforehand, I'm like, oh, this is crap. Yeah, there's so always some traveling logistical issues. Hanging and, around, thinking, yeah. oh, I could be doing this. but And it's not been a good season for travel, right? Like so many issues at airports and baggage. Yeah. And like, I think everyone's had a rough year with it. Yeah, we've been lucky with the baggage, I okay. think. Uh, we made the decision at Monsanto and to strip the bikes, put them in boxes and actually um, fly them back to Belgium where our head mechanic okay. lives. So they nobody had to fly with their bike. Yeah. We actually posted the lot, which we thought would be more secure. Yeah. We haven't got a whole load of these frames. They are a prototype frame, mm-hmm. so there's not many around. Uh, so we haven't got many spares. So we can't afford for those bikes to disappear with the worlds coming up and stuff. So yeah. we took that decision to send them, which I think was a very good idea. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And we had, the only problem we've had was some wheels not turning up at Snowshoe. Uh-huh. But they turned up a couple of days later, so wasn't the end of the world so we've been quite lucky yeah. i think but we've had delays in flights and all sorts which can be a bit crap when you sat in an airport um i just had for this trip i had to fly to nice to pick up the gt van <laughs> i had a three hour delay i got to the airport two hours earlier than i really needed to be oh man just because of lifts and stuff yeah. so i was in the airport very long time <laughs> and then 
got to my accommodation in Nice at 4am. Whoa. Yeah. And then so, had to drive the next day. Yeah. But I was going on a holiday, so can't, okay. can't complain. Fair enough. That's not so bad. <laughs> no. Before we move on from toolboxes, though, favourite tools? We'll have a bit of tool geekery. Uh, I really like my Nipex pliers. That's everybody it. loves Everyone's those. Everyone's a big so fan good. of those. Yeah, Just they are universal good. thing. Yeah, does everything. And I've got some nice beta um, Allen keys. Like the T-bar. The, yeah, the yeah. swiveling ones. Yeah. yeah, they're pretty good. Okay, Yeah. sweet. Right, so... What surprised you about the role? Because obviously, you know, you know the sport super well. You've been to World Cups in the past. To yeah, like I've been to watch. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What surprised you now that you're in it? Um, I wouldn't say anything was a surprise. There's lots of things that there's a lot more involved than I thought there would be. Okay. I thought that like getting the bikes ready would be quite a quick job. Mm-hmm. A couple of hours, a few hours maybe, and the bike's ready. I pretty much will take nearly two full days to get the bikes properly ready, but I do track walk in that time as okay. well. Yeah, and I'll take my time. Every bearing gets checked; uh-huh. doesn't always get replaced, but it will certainly get checked. Yeah, and that's not just checking it with spin. I'll pop seals and make sure there is grease in there still. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say that surprised me, but it's more than I thought it would be. It's yeah. more involved. Uh, maybe less time actually seeing what's going on on track <laughs> was I'd say it probably was a little bit of surprise and a okay. bit of a disappointment I wanted to go up and see the bikes working yeah um, but Cam takes videos for me so I can see what's going on okay. which helps with the suspension setup and yeah, stuff yeah. I can actually see what's going on and he's very knowledgeable about suspension as well so mm-hmm. he can give me some of the feedback like we had today he gave me some feedback which wasn't quite the same feedback as I was getting from Jess okay but his feedback matched the data i was seeing okay so again i could prize the correct answer on correct what i would expect from an answer yeah you can ask different questions ask different questions and you get to it yeah and then fox have been a great help this weekend geordie went to see him and he looked at a few things and we agreed some changes just just qualified fourth so i guess it worked yeah happy days (laughs) yeah so anything you will change in your like approach or your setup or your box from last year to this year, obviously you're going to have a more pimp box next year. Yeah. Yeah. A few extra tools. There's a lot. Um, I've got all the tools I need to fix the bike. Yeah. Or change parts, but there's just a few extra tools that I borrow off Mark and he's, you know, he's happy to pass stuff on. And uh, the biggest thing I guess was I hadn't built that many wheels before I started as a working mechanic. And that was one of the things when Ethan said about, fancy doing it like seriously fancy doing it i was like the only thing i'm not great at is building wheels i don't have a massive amount of experience so okay I built maybe five or six wheels before that stage yeah and i can build them well just a bit slow <laughs> okay so go to the world cup and then you see mark who's been building wheels since he was left school did it as a side business yeah and just like ultra quick with wheel builds yeah like five minutes yeah yeah and you see some of the tools he's got and so tools have been added as my year's gone on for wheel builds what sort of stuff um just like uh when we had normal type nipples and the wheels Mm -hmm. like a little tool just to hold on to the nipple when you put it in okay so it doesn't fall out i was using a screwdriver and 
50% of the time the <laughs> it dropped the, yeah. triple, the nipple fell off yeah or at worst it went in the rim and then fell over yeah oh, now it's in the rim <laughs> not good yeah and he uses a drill okay. so he uses a drill he actually takes stuff out with a drill yeah. takes the nipples out with a drill and they put new nipples in with a drill I've been you borrowing his drill if he's not building wheels he'll always say do you want to use the drill uh-huh. yeah to yeah, take nipples out at least lot, yeah. I'm not confident enough to use it doing it up yet okay um, but as the year's gone on, even uh, two weeks or last week in Leger, I was asking, he built some wheels for me uh, and I use a tension mm-hmm. meter to make sure all the spokes are spot on. Yeah. He built some wheels for me and I, while he wasn't there, <laughs> didn't want to do it in front of him, check the tension yeah. and it was spot on. And he did it without yeah. a tension gauge. So I look at a certain bracket and all of those spokes were in that bracket except one. Wow. And that was probably to take a buckle out the room. Yeah. And it was pretty impressive. That's cool. Like, how'd you do that? And he went through how he builds a wheel. And I thought, yeah, that's how I do it. That's how I, oh, hang on, that's not. Uh, and just those little bits. Yeah. Whereas, whereas, like I was saying earlier, I think, you know, it'd be good to get the mechanics together. They can learn a bit about the data acquisition stuff. Yeah. I'm interested to learn that stuff because that is a pressure. Yeah, yeah, especially at a track where a lot, yeah. like Fort William, where you're breaking yeah. a lot of wheels yeah, naturally. Breaking wheels. Yeah. And we, we have three sets of wheels for each rider. Yeah, ready to go. Yeah. yeah. You're trying to keep one of those as a race set. And if you run out of wheels all of a sudden, you can get to a stage where, okay, well, now I need to build wheels yeah. for race day. And you can't just build one because they've got practice. Yeah, yeah. So now you're building two sets of wheels <laughs> just for race day and you're doing it the night before. And it's like, oh, I really want to be doing it's this. a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. So that's probably something I will look at in yeah. the off-season, try and learn a bit from Mark and get on top of that a bit better. So if anyone needs some new wheels, give you a shout. Keep yeah. you busy. Yeah, keep me busy. <laughs> something to do. Are you running different spoke tension between different riders or front to rear? or Different spoke tension front to rear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use the same tension for both Jess and Ethan. Okay. Um, I've played with it a little bit. We've actually... So the old bike was quite stiff yeah so we ran quite a soft wheel mm-hmm. which meant we were folding we we're not folding them damaging, we damaging often, yeah. quite a lot as soon as we went to the new bike that they built in some flex the designers listened to the rider saying mm-hmm. they needed more flex so it's been built into the frame so i immediately went up in spoke tension again didn't tell ethan <laughs> let him ride it yeah and then sort of once i just came out and said does the wheels feel better kind of ask a load of questions to yeah. find out if the wheel bed better and let him know that i'd increase the spoke tension he's like it feels fine mm. are you running higher spoke tension on the front or on the rear on the rear okay yeah slightly softer front mm-hmm. i think the front you can get away with more you can see what's coming um we have damaged a couple of front wheels but not damaged that would stop you riding or yeah. using it for another run and does but, that help it track better i think so yeah yeah I think if you can get the front wheel in where you want it to go, the back will somewhat follow. It's a good chance it's coming yeah, with you. Exactly, yeah, yeah. But the back gets so many more impacts because you can't see it. Yeah. You can't always nurse it over something that they need to be a little bit stronger, I think. Interesting. So that extra spoke tension helps uh, sometimes. Yeah. And uh, talking about getting things to to live through fairly arduous riding, you're off to Hardline in a few days' <laughs> yeah. time with with Jess for her first time there and you can be yep. looking after Jess on the bike. How do you feel about that? Because that's a totally uh, different ball yeah, game. Yeah, not at all worried about setup. Yeah. Because we won't be running telemetry. That'd be a waste of time. It's just going to be stiff as anything. Yeah. 
more worried about Jess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a huge event. Have you been Speaking, before? I uh, no. Okay, I've been to look at the track. So right. we did a yeah. Red Bull athlete thing earlier in the year at Dovey. Oh yeah, and um, we went to look at the track one evening. Wild, and eh? It's yeah, mad. Even the bits in between the big features yeah. are gnarly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's bits of it. I thought, oh, it's a big good track, and then you come around the corner, and you think, holy shit, the size <laughs> of that jump. Yeah, this track's terrible. Yeah, but yeah, she's pretty confident. Um, what so, will you do differently on the bike? I think we'll stiffen the bike quite a lot. Yeah, um, but that's probably all really. Okay, uh, we've been fiddling around with handlebar height this weekend a little bit to get her comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so we may look at that a little bit. I think, to be honest, this is a lot steeper here at Valdesol. Yeah. And with a hand injury, it's good to have a little bit of weight off her hand. Okay. Um, but next week, we just need to get her in a comfortable position for it being in the air. Yeah, yeah. And not just blowing through the travel on takeoffs and stuff. Yeah. She's going to be hitting stuff fast. Will you and slow I, rebound a bit to make it just yeah, a bit I easier think to so. control? Yeah, yeah, I think, like, we run rebound fast. Yeah. Because we're trying to get that back wheel on the, or the front and back wheel back on the ground quick. Mm-hmm. There, we're going to be having massive impacts on landing. Yeah. No matter if they're smooth or not, there's a big rock slab drop that I went and looked at. I think Braga crashed on it a couple of years ago. Yeah. I went to look at that and looked from the top and thought, yeah, I'd go off that. Then went round to the bottom, looked up. So absolutely not. <laughs> no way. And I thought, okay, well, suspension's going to have to be rock hard to take yeah. that impact because it, you land off that and you're into a corner. So... You know, you don't want to be compressing everything and then the bike is still out of control when you get to the corner. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a bit different. It'd be interesting. But I think, again, I think that's where the mechanics are good. I'm pretty sure some of them will give me some advice what they've done yeah, previous definitely. years. Yeah. So, yeah, it'd be a bit different. So, cool. Yeah, but a little bit nervous, but it'd be fun. Yeah, well, like you say, they feel like you're sort of surrogate kids in a way right yeah. and you've got to go and watch yeah. them huck their way down over like 86 foot yeah. gaps and stuff it's must be an interesting position to be yeah. in as a mechanic yeah if it was my daughter it'd be absolutely not you're not doing that <laughs> fair play incredible stuff so what's the highlight of the season for you then uh i think definitely ethan's result at mont saint anne that was amazing yeah first uh, year elite's pretty well yeah now. i think like also him qualifying 14th at um Fort William yeah. after not qualifying by the smallest of margins at Lords mm. and then doing a lot of work and then going to Fort William, you know, we were pretty stoked when we saw each other, big manly hugs and all sorts. <laughs> it was pretty exciting. But yeah. yeah, now I've got used to it. It's like the hugs are still there, but it's not so surprising. Anymore. I wouldn't say it was surprising the first time, but it's like, yeah, yeah this is where we should be. Definitely. And right. we're there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, his result at Montenegro was amazing. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Perfect. Snowshoe as well, the week before, like coming 12th. I was amazed by that. I was like, oh, we're here. We're now top 10 contenders. Pretty pleased with that. And then the following week, just to follow it up by going five places better. It's like, well, he's definitely there. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to watch yeah. both him and Jess over the next couple of yeah. seasons, actually. Two yeah. very talented riders with a lot of potential. Yeah. So yeah. it's cool that uh, you get and to Jess as well. Jess has, you know become a proper podium threat now she's had a couple of podiums this year um after injury as well yeah she's had a rough ride into elite women and it's uh her injury last year was horrendous i mean i didn't see any of it i saw the footage of when she crashed and thought well that's pretty gnarly and then knowing what was injured and then meeting her and then 
first race at Fort William, she crashed again and broke her other collarbone. Yeah. So, oh man, this is going to be tough. I've broken my collarbones a lot and I know it's a big head game coming mm-hmm. back from something like that. You've got to trust the front end of the bike, but she's strong, strong in the mind and she's just got on with it. And here she is regularly in the top five Yeah, and just qualified fourth. So looks good for this weekend hopefully it does exciting times man yeah. well, we're going to start wrapping up but before we go into those final four questions well, having done your first season at the highest level uh, a mechanic can get to i guess within the mountain bike certainly in the downhill side what advice would you give to other people that kind of want to follow that path i think um it's a difficult one because i think you do definitely i heard somebody ask uh, mark a little while ago about how do you get in to be a mechanic and he said you just have to be the right place at the right time okay and that was certainly how it worked for me uh-huh. it had never occurred to me to be a world cup mechanic okay now i'm in it I think, oh, why didn't i do this years ago <laughs> <laughs> maybe pay wise but <laughs> yeah but yeah i think like you just you need to be a good mechanic you definitely need to be a good mechanic yeah. you need to be somebody that riders can trust that's a big thing you're not just there fixing a bike mm-hmm. and being a bit of an ass you're there your riders have got to trust you yeah it's way and more that's than the big thing yeah, yeah it's way more than just fixing the bike you yeah. know you're, you're there for their highs and lows yeah you're somebody they can talk to and trust a bit yeah and um, they can talk to you about other stuff that's going on and yeah feel like you know you you're looking after them so you you know you're going to be on their side whatever mm-hmm. so yeah there's a lot to it but yeah people who want to get into it you just need to be a good mechanic and then get yourself out there yeah and i start with is some of these smaller teams that aren't going to pay you anything mm-hmm. even at national level get on board with a there's a few teams at national level that some have mechanics some don't yeah but try and get yourself on one of those and show people what you can do and then it grows from that yeah offer to help out a privateer you can do with some someone on the spanners and yeah yeah i think all that would help i mean there's always there's lots of talk about this team need a mechanic this team mechanic and they probably pick from the current crop yeah. of world cup mechanics but every time somebody moves that's another that's spot, spot available yeah. and there's got to be some of that lower end i was lucky enough to go straight into a factory team mm-hmm. um i'm no spring chicken so <laughs> i probably wouldn't have, myself wouldn't have been so interested in getting on board for a free yeah. job with somebody that's fair um it's just come along as a a change in career yeah, you're a lucky man. A lot of stuff fell into place at yeah, a good time, eh? So, yeah. It's How are you feeling time. then? Like, do you miss that old corporate engineering role? Not or? one bit. No? no. So I spent all my time in engineering just thinking about going out on my bike. <laughs> Since I've been doing my business and the GT stuff, I haven't once thought, oh, I'd love to be sat on a desk behind a computer. Maybe at Snowshoe when it's pouring the rain and yeah. I was getting soaked off the guy next to me washing his bike. <laughs> but even then, it's like, okay, well, this is still fun. Yeah not going to trade it in yeah i'm definitely not going to trade it in. i did think like when i started my business i thought you know i'll give it a couple of years if it doesn't work i can always go back into engineering yeah but now it's like no wouldn't even not happening think about it no fair play good on you man stoked it's good to see you getting involved and having a good first season let's wrap up then we've got these final four questions first one if our listeners had 150 pounds to spend to improve their performance on a bike and they can't spend it at RSR Bike Works. <laughs> Where would you, what would you recommend they spend it on? I think uh, I think coaching is a big thing for anybody. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I do that through RSR, but <laughs> I'm not. That in. I'm, yeah, I'm not plugging it. I, you know, I coach people who race. Yeah, and I coach people who are beginners, and mm-hmm. everybody gets something out of it. 
and I think just a different set of eyes I even coach people who have been to like three or four different coaches and they're yeah. trying to find a coach that they want to go with yeah and everything's not everything some things are different some of it's affirmation that yeah you're doing the right thing yeah and I think that's a good place to spend your money yeah and if people people should shop around for coaches I think because not should. everyone clicks with no. that coach no. like if it doesn't work it doesn't mean coaching's not for you no it means that was the wrong yeah, coach the, the coach isn't the right yeah. coach yeah yeah and some possibly may could be too serious i'm a too flippant yeah it's same as mechanicing that person needs to trust yeah who they're being it's told to be a good by. fit yeah 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 cool all right good stuff second one if you could wind back a clock uh and sit down with yourself age 16 that's a big wind right <laughs> yeah that's a long time <laughs> what advice would you give him because a lot of water under the bridge but yeah uh i think just uh follow your dreams yeah, okay. I had the opportunity when I was 18 to move to the US to do BMX. And I did have a good chat with my dad and he told me, you know, BMX, you'll be done in two years time. Uh-huh. It might be great, but you're going to give up all of your engineering stuff to do that. So I carried on with engineering. Um, for me, probably was the right thing to do. Okay. I've done all right out of it. But if you're passionate about racing enough and you are good enough, then follow it through. Yeah. There's lots of riders here who've come a long way and they weren't paid, but their passion has driven them through. Yeah. You've got someone like Wynn. He started that way. He decided, yep, downhills for him. He's yeah. made it happen. He's traveled the world and he's made it happen. And now he's where he is. So. Yeah. Through a lot of hard graft. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. All right. Third one. If you could have a coaching session from anyone, past or present, who would it be and what would you want to learn from them? It's There's so many people. I've seen so many people through the years racing. Um, I think someone like Nicholas Vuglios might be able to tell me a few things. He's yeah. very, very technical as well as a good rider. Mm-hmm. And I quite like all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so some of the like stuff him. they were up to yeah, like yeah. even 20 years ago is pretty yeah. insane. But then I also someone like pt yeah the force he puts through a bike i know he's a big guy but he just knows exactly where to put the force into the bike i just like to learn some of that yeah so yeah yeah one of the old greats that would be cool that would be cool well pete's around i'm sure you could uh yeah get yourself yeah. on a ride with no, him he just comes around to our pits for beer now that's about it <laughs> fair <laughs> enough all right last one what do you do every day that you feel benefits you so with all the injuries i've had uh, I stretch every morning okay. before I get out of bed. So I stretch my back, shoulders, ankles, all sorts. Interesting. Yeah. Do you... Some of my mates hate it that I'm racing with because my <laughs> ankles click and crack Whoa. all over the place and it's not what they want to be woken up with. Nasty. But yeah, every morning. Yeah. How long does that take? Uh, it's only like five minutes. Okay. It's just a quick thing just to click a few things yeah. in. Yeah. And do you carry, do you have like a TheraBand or anything or is it all done? No, I just do it all from like experience of what works, especially yeah. with back. I've had a bad back since I took somebody out at a BMX race and right. twisted my spine a bit when, yeah. I, when he landed on me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's more clicking that back in okay. and then the ankle injuries from downhill and stuff. Yeah. It's just like limbering them up a bit. Okay. And I notice if I don't do it, I was going to say, I'll end yeah, up yeah. with a slightly stiffer back for the day or I'll be limping a bit because my ankle hurts or whatever. So, 
Yeah, I think it makes a huge difference. Yeah, fair yeah. play. Good on you. If people want to find out more, follow what, what's going on, where are the best places to, for them to look? So there'll be the GT Factory Racing. So there's the GT Factory Racing stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then there's, I have two Instagram accounts. Mm-hmm. got my personal account, which is underscore Rich underscore Simpson. Yeah. Or on my RSR stuff is RSR Bike Works. Cool. Is there a website for that? There is as well. All right. Yeah, that's rsrbikeworks.com co.uk all right i'll dig all that out stick it in yeah. the show notes yeah that'd be good but yeah thanks man it's been super interesting i found out stuff i didn't know about you so that's yeah. been good fun <laughs> yeah it's gonna be uh, a long time <laughs> yeah and uh yeah i hope i hope to see you here again next season i'm I glad you've so. had such a good first season and have enjoyed it and been able to help two awesome riders progress yeah. and look forward to seeing much more from from the team yeah thanks for having nice me one. cheers mate cheers All right, that's it for this episode with Rich. I really hope you've enjoyed it. A massive thank you to We Are One Composites. As a downtime listener, you can get 10% off any Revolution wheel set, including rim only, for the month of September. All you need to do is to head to weareonecomposites.com and use the code DOWNTIMEWHEELING2022 at the checkout. That's downtime with a capital D, no space, followed by the word wheeling, W-H-E-E-L-I-N-G, no space, then the number 2022 over at weareonecomposites.com. Head to their site now and check out their entire range of awesome wheels. Here's a few other links that might be useful to you too. Downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Forward slash shop to support the show by getting yourself some merch. And forward slash EP if you'd like to get your hands on copies of our lovely print project, Downtime EP. As always, spread the word, tell your rider mates and make sure as many people as possible are listening. That's it for today. We're going to have another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until next time, get out and ride.